So good. Am I on? Yes? You hear me? Good. Okay. Um, man, I got so many things running through my head already, just even as Jen was praying. I'm like, oh, should I share that? Oh, should I share that? So we'll see where all that goes before I even get to my message this morning. Um, but uh, really quick, yeah, let's do that one first. Um, it could be one of y'all in the room. I don't know. Um, but if you... As Jen was praying about blessing those that are giving into testament this, if you are a tither and you give to the Lord and you have a financial difficulty in front of you, you've got something that you're believing for and you don't have the finances for, would you stand with me if that's who you are? Just, I just want to pray a quick blessing over you. If that's anyone other than me, would you stand? Otherwise, I'm praying over myself. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. I'm not alone. not going to quit. I say quick prayers. I promise this is not going to be quick. Lord, even with my eyes open, I normally pray with my eyes closed. Lord, you see us standing. You see the situations. And I speak your words of truth that there is blessing and obedience. So would you bless in the name of Jesus, would you bless everyone standing here that they would have a testimony that it would be public, God, that you provided and it was more than enough. So we trust you. We lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge you and you will direct the finances to bless what we are, are needing right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for standing with me. Good, all right. Another thing that came to my mind really quick. Um, just wanted to encourage you. As we're praying for Ramin and our missionaries, I share with you as I opened up service that Nick, Pastor Nick and I just came back from a, a leadership conference. And there were several speakers there that were missionaries from around the world that I never met before. But I just wanted to encourage you. I heard a missionary say this, and I'll tell you why he said this. He said, this is the best time to be a missionary in any time in human history. And he said, I wouldn't want to be a missionary in any other time in history than right now. And why was he saying that? Because he has been bringing hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. This guy I'd never met before. He was at this conference, and I don't think he's actually real well known, but they brought him to speak. And just even in Thailand, he said during COVID, all the churches, he was just starting church planting and trying to build the church, and it was just hard. But the last three years in COVID, where he was barely bringing a convert every year, these last three years, he's seen tens of thousands of people come to Christ. He was showing us pictures of just massive crowds in this dirty river and just getting baptized. He's like, it's exploding in Thailand. The gospel is exploding. Um, there was another man, we, um, one of our missionaries that we sent to Portugal. You guys remember David and, and Kati Dawson? We prayed for them in the tent and they were going to be moving to Portugal and they had no idea what they're doing. They're just taking all their bags. They had no idea where they're going to live, what they were going to do. And that was about two years ago. Um, and if you remember when he was sharing that Portugal is one of the hardest European countries because it's, it's so over-religious that everyone feels like they've already heard it, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, yeah I know the whole Catholic thing. There's Catholic churches everywhere. And yeah, that, that's our old tradition, but we're progressive now and we don't do that stuff anymore. And so they are cold to the gospel. And so I remember when he shared that, it's like, man, he's going to a hard place. But we had this guy come and share that in the last, I don't know, I might get numbers a little bit wrong, but they're not exaggerated, I promise. In the last five years, he's planted over 300 churches in Portugal. And, he's, and he just was sharing that revival is breaking out everywhere. And it was so cool. He shared all this the very first day that Nick and I were there. We're like, wow, who is this guy? And he's going to rent out the biggest stadium there is in, in Lisbon. And he's invited. Anyway, I won't go into all the details, but tens of thousands. He's got all these big, huge plans. And he's, he's doing all these things. And it so happened that the next morning, Nick and I wake up and we go down to have our continental breakfast at our hotel. 
And there he is by himself eating breakfast. And we're like, let's go. And so we went and sat next to him. And, and we, we talked to him, and, I, and it came up. And I said, by any chance, do you happen to know? We, have, we support a missionary that's in Portugal. His name is David Doss. He's like, David? He's like, yeah, he's at my church. He's my, he's my interpreter. He's like, I know David. And his dad, John Dawson, is moving to Portugal. I got him to move to Portugal. He's coming to help me with this rally. And I, like, he's like, you should come, Pastor. Come to Portugal with me. And I was like, okay. You know? um, so I, I just want to encourage you. Can I say it both to encourage you that God is on the move? The enemy, the news cycle, everything meant to discourage you that the church in America is not thriving. And I'm like, baloney. The enemy loves to speak lies to discourage us. And I want to encourage you that God is on the move. Revival is already here. We're not just praying for revival to happen. It's already happening. Revival is now. And the kingdom of heaven is now, as Pastor Dick said, right? It's here and now. And I just want to encourage you. Can I say it this way? Can I put courage in you? That if he prayed for Ramin, everywhere he goes, people are getting saved. The harvest is ripe. And I just want to encourage you. It may not seem like that, but the truth, the reality is, the harvest is ripe. Everywhere you go, there are people that are hungry for the gospel. David declared it, Portugal is a closed country, like they're cold to the gospel. And the opposite is true. You might think that your coworker is cold to the gospel. The opposite is true. Those are lies. People that you think family members, I'm telling you, Ramin, he's got a huge family. They are all living in Iran. Born Muslims, all worshipers of Allah, and he's converted all of them remotely. In the last 17 years, he just calls them and talks to them and tells them the gospel over the phone. They've come to the phone on him, but he doesn't give up, and now there's only one left. I don't want, you might think there's a family member that's, they're too far gone. That's not the truth. Oh, man. Okay, can I say this? See if I can say it. Some of us are living in what we think is real because of what our emotions say and what our past circumstances say. But it's not the truth. I said it, I think, on Easter. I tried to offend a lot of people. Everyone in the room, every one of us in this room has bad theology. When you get to heaven, you're going to realize, oh man, I missed it. I don't care if it's that pastor down the street. This, there is not a human being on the planet that has perfect theology. I'm in an ever-growing relationship with God, and I am learning new things about him all the time. So get over yourself and hear this truth. The reality you are living in, the way you think about things, needs to change. I'm preaching to myself. I'm not saying this arrogantly. I'm saying we all together in this room, we think things are real and they're not real. Can I be even more offensive? There's not one of you listening to me that isn't under the influence of a lie. Can I give you one example? Any situation or person that you don't have extreme, over-the-top, unreasonable hope for is under the influence of a lie. Yes. Our God is a God of hope. Yes. He says in Romans, now, may the God of hope, that tells you right there, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are not abounding in hope over things, which means we're under the influence of a lie. If you don't have extreme hope for the nation of America, you're under the influence of a lie. Right. 
If you don't have extreme hope for your coworker, for like people, for your finances, I just had you stand. If you are discouraged, and I've been there, and there's even things right now where I'm trying to have hope for, but I don't have extreme hope for, it means it's under, I'm under the influence of a lie. And I believe that God today is wanting to shatter that. He's wanting to expose that. He's wanting to reveal that things need to change. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. There's not one of us in this room that doesn't need a renewed mind. So what I hope I have some type of a message for you this morning is going to be talking about someone who needed to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. I said as I opened up service, I, I'm still like enjoying Easter. I know we're a couple weeks after Easter and we probably move on to the next thing, but I'm like, man, there's so much in Easter. I could just keep re-preaching Easter every Sunday. But if you remember, we read the Gospel of Mark on Easter Sunday. We were kind of reading what happened on that Easter. I kind of gave you some history. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but, but we kind of went through what happened on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus appeared to Mary, um, another, another Gospel is to more than Mary, just some women. Then he appeared to those two on the road to Emmaus. You guys remembering some of your, your Bible trivia? Jesus appeared to multiple people on Resurrection Sunday. But then in Corinthians, it says that Jesus appeared for 40 days, and at one time he appeared to over 500 people. It says in Corinthians that he appeared to um, the apostle James, which is actually not one of the 12 disciples, but it's actually Jesus' brother, half-brother, right? It says that Jesus appeared to lots of different times, and I was just going back, and I was reading the end of the Gospels, and I was reading everything that happened, right? Jesus died, and he rose again, and it tells us everything that happened about Resurrection Sunday, and then from Resurrection Sunday to Jesus ascending 40 days later, can I tell you, between those two days, 40 days of Jesus having resurrected, appearing all over the place, Matthew gives us four verses. Can I, can I wreck some of your Bible trivia? At least it was mine. Was, I'll just ask the question, I won't give you that. Where was Jesus when he gave the great commission. Where were the disciples and where was Jesus when he gave the great commission? Matthew, the very last verses of Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? There, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I command you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's the end of Matthew's gospel, and that's all that's written after Easter Sunday. Where was Jesus when that happened? Just Bible trivia. And it, Mount of Olives? Galilee. Galilee. So I always thought it was the Mount of Olives. It was Galilee. He was on a mountaintop in Galilee. But he ascended on the Mount of Olives. So Matthew only gives us the Great Commission. He doesn't even give us the ascension. Then Mark and Luke, it says that he was in the Mount of Olives and he ascended. And they don't really give a whole lot of the Great Commission. But they're doing these things. And so I'll go through it. So Matthew gives us four verses. Mark gives us um, two verses. Remember, he's the... Cliff notes. So Mark gives us two verses after Resurrection Sunday. And then Luke gives us four verses. Oh, I lied. Matthew gives us five verses. Matthew five verses. Mark two. Luke does us four verses. John doesn't say anything because he always beats a different drum. Says nothing about the Great Commission. Says nothing about the Ascension. What does he do? After Easter Sunday, he gives us eight verses. And he tattles on Doubting Thomas. 
Says <laughs> we were all there on, on Easter Sunday, and Jesus showed up and talked to all of us, but there was one who wasn't there. And later we told him, and Thomas, he doubted. He said, unless I put my finger, unless this, I won't believe. And then it says that Jesus, these are our eight verses, Jesus showed up a second time eight days later and said, Thomas, look, put your finger in my side. Put your finger right. Don't be believing, but believe, right? That's what John gives us, right? Just a tattle on his friend. Um, and that's the end of John's gospel, or is it not? That's John chapter 20. What I want to talk to you about this morning is John 21. It's as if, I told you all these other gospel writers, they give us four verses, two verses, about everything that happened from Jesus' resurrection Sunday to his ascension. We get nothing. But John, I feel like he like paused the story. Wait a second, wait a second. Let's slow it down. Instead of Mark saying everything immediately, if you ever read Mark's gospel, he says immediately like, Hundreds of times. Immediately, they got on the boat. Immediately, this happened. Immediately, everything's about fast. And John's like, let's slow it down a little bit. Let's zoom in and let's talk about a personal encounter. You can turn to your Bibles if you want, John chapter 21. I don't know how much, I was going to maybe read it, but I don't think I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, Bible trivia, some of you already know. I've actually taught on it multiple times. It's Jesus having breakfast with his disciples. But what it is, is it's a personal encounter. Instead of it being this great commission for all the church, for all the age, right? It's let's have a personal encounter. Let's have something significant and individual and personal and important. Can you look to your neighbor and tell them, say, you need a personal encounter with Jesus? <laughs> all right. Now look to your neighbor and say, I need a personal encounter with Jesus. <laughs> Jen had a, a, a teacher friend. She said it this way. Y'all need Jesus. <laughs> she would say it when someone would start gossiping in the room. She'd be like, y'all need Jesus. Stop gossiping about this other person. Y'all need Jesus, right? Or if it was like negative or if it was a good thing going on, like, man, you're talking about y'all, all of us need Jesus. Whatever's going on in there, I want that in me too. The reality is we all need Jesus. We need Jesus. I need a personal encounter with Jesus. In between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' ascension, Peter needed a personal encounter with Jesus. In between your salvation and your leaving this earth to go live with Jesus forever in heaven, you need a personal encounter with Jesus. It's not enough to have, well, yeah, the day I got saved, I had a personal encounter with Jesus. Yeah, but I need another one. Yes. And tomorrow I need another one. Yes. I, and tomorrow I need another one. I, I'm a needy person. I need Jesus. I need a personal encounter with Jesus. I, I love coming to church. I love having a, per, a, a corporate time of meeting with Jesus. I need that too. But I need something outside of just Sunday morning worship. I need my own personal encounter with Jesus. All right, without even going through the whole story, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it. If you don't know the story, you've got to go read it, John chapter 21. But for those of you who need it, you kind of know it, I'll just kind of highlight some different things. Let's not forget that Peter, right? You've heard, I've, I've taught, I've heard so many messages that Peter denied Jesus three times and now he's getting restored three times. And I, that's great. I'm not preaching on all that today, but it's connected. 
Peter's on the heels of having just denied Jesus and actually cursing, saying four-letter words. And it says, I think it's in John's gospel, it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Meaning it wasn't off in the outside somewhere where Jesus, it was personal. Peter cursed and said, I don't know that man. I've never met him. What are you talking about? I would never be seen with that man. Those were deep wounds that Peter had. Even though Resurrection Sunday happened and, Jesus, and Peter was saved. Peter was going to heaven. There was something within Peter. He still labeled himself as a failed follower. And now in chapter 21, he goes fishing, which he's done his whole life. And he had a whole business. He knew how to fish. And after a whole night of fishing, he's not only a failed follower, now he's a failed fisherman. There's shame, there's guilt, there's disappointment, there's disillusionment, there's disqualification all going on inside of Peter's mind. His reality is what his emotions are telling him. His reality is what his past circumstance just a few days ago is screaming at him. Circumstances say, Peter, this is who you are. My emotions, his emotions are saying, Peter, this is who you are. And Jesus comes to say, Peter, your reality is not what you think it is. You are thinking thoughts that I don't think towards you. You're thinking thoughts about yourself that I've never thought about you. You're thinking thoughts about me. Jesus is saying this to me. You're thinking thoughts about me that are not true. You're projecting how I think about you that are not true. You're projecting things about your future. You've lost hope for your future. Your future is looked through a wrong lens. Can I just tell you, there's some people in this room, this message is not just for Peter, it's for you. Can I just be bold? There's some of you, you're carrying shame. It could be a sin that wasn't just weeks ago, it was years ago. And you've, in some ways, you've repented and asked for forgiveness, and you could say, I, I know I'm forgiven, but somehow there's residual effect. It is slowing you down. Paul says it this way. Paul is the chief of sinners. And he says, but I'm running the race. I'm letting go of everything that would slow me down. If that's going to trip me up, man, I'm not touching it. I'm not going to allow that thought about that I used to murder Christians. I'm not going to allow that to disqualify me anymore. I've shared publicly from this pulpit way too many times. I hope I haven't done it recently. But I've said it so many times. Because, why? There was a voice doing this in the back of my head. I said from this pulpit, I don't know how many times, I'm not a natural born leader. Where did that phrase come from? It came from my reality. That's how I viewed myself. I viewed myself, I don't have the personality, the temperament to be a strong leader. Like, I know who I am. I, I have my experiences of growing up with three older siblings. I, I went to school. I know what it's like to have like the captain of the football team and I'm just here. Like I know what it's like where I tried to become the captain and I was the captain of the JV football team for one week and I got demoted. I, I know what it's like to try to be a leader and fail. 
And I had all these emotions and all these past experiences telling me this is the reality. And I had God calling me to be a pastor, and I'm standing here being the lead pastor, and I'm still saying, yeah, but I'm not a natural-born leader. Because I was living in a reality that wasn't true. But it felt real. And it seemed so real because of my circumstances. But I needed to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. God, your word says this. I know that you've called me to be a pastor, but I don't feel like I'm a leader. So I'm going to start saying it, even though I don't believe it. I wish I could say that my reality is determined by what I believe. But unfortunately, I believed things about me that weren't true. I want to shatter that. I want to shatter that reality. I'm not even getting all the details of the story, but as I was reading this story, I, I knew this Sunday I wanted to talk about John chapter 21 for weeks now. I've known I want to talk about it. I went, oh man, after Easter, I want to talk about John 21. I could... I could teach for hours on this chapter. I don't want to teach information today. Can I? It's not on the text, but I did this often with my kids. When I put them to bed, I would tell them a Bible story, and I would give it the Ryan version. I would take liberties where it's not in the text, and I would embellish and say, well, it's possible. It doesn't say this didn't happen, so maybe this happened. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us in, in actual words on the page what actually happened. But here's some things. I, I'm thinking about Peter being a failed follower, being a failed fisherman, and Jesus is there. It's been weeks since Jesus' resurrection. Peter's struggling. He's struggling. This is how I view it playing out. I don't know for a fact this is how it is. But they're around a campfire. They're eating breakfast that Jesus cooked. There's seven disciples plus Jesus. It's not all 12 in there. It's just the seven. And they're there. And it's intimate. And it says, John records that none of them asked if he was Jesus because they were afraid. <laughs> Which means there was some awkwardness in the room. One of my kids, that's kind of his catchphrase. We, we make fun of him because he says it at home all the time. Oh, that's awkward. That's awkward. Oh, Dad, don't do that. That's awkward. Can I say it this way? Sometimes personal encounters with Jesus are awkward. Peter, who was bold Peter, right? Bold Peter, put his foot in his mouth, man, I'll die for you, Jesus. Like, he's the one that would always, like, be the first one to say something. Like, who do men say that I am? Ah, yeah, who do you say I am? He wasn't waiting for anyone else. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He was the first one to boldly declare, this is who you are, right? In this moment, this is how I view Peter. I see him sitting with his head down. He's having a hard time looking up at Jesus. Because that shame, that guilt, he knows that Jesus has called me the head of the church. He's like, but I disqualified myself. I cursed you, Jesus, to your face. Like, 
I can't do it anymore. Like, pick John. He's the beloved one. He's the one that you love anyways. Like, just pick him. He's feeling all these things. He's thinking all these things. And then Peter says, then John, no, good golly. Jesus says to Peter, I think it's a conversation. Maybe it was quiet for a moment. He's like, hey, Peter, do you love me? This is how I view it. It doesn't say in the text. I view Peter, he can't look up at Jesus. He's poking at the fire. Yeah, Jesus, you, you know I love you. I don't think it was said right again. I think maybe another thing was said. Maybe it was awkward silence. Who knows? But time goes by. Jesus says it again. Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. Still, Peter won't look up. Do you love me? Jesus, yeah, you, you know I, I, yeah, I love you. He will not look in Jesus' eyes. Finally, the third time, Jesus says, hey, Peter. I'm thinking he's tapping his shoulder, puts his hand on Peter's shoulder. Peter. Peter will not look up at him. Peter. Hey, do you even like me? Now Peter's offended. Now Peter looks up. Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he's finally looking in Jesus' eyes. Doesn't say it in the text, but I think that's the moment Peter was restored. Because he looked at Jesus' eyes. Jesus was not full of condemnation. He was not full of disappointment. The love of Christ was being flooded into Peter as he finally looked in Jesus' eyes. It wasn't all the exchange of words in that moment that restored Peter. This is my take. It was Peter finally lifting up his head and looking at Jesus in the eyes and saying to Jesus, to know that I love you. I made the mistake. I did this. I'm disqualified. I can't be a leader. And I can't do what you call me to do. But you know, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus, with fire in his eyes, blazing fire, looking at Peter. Peter, feed my sheep. Do what I told you to do. Believe in yourself. Can I say it this way? There's some of you in this room that you wouldn't hesitate to say you believe in Jesus. But you would hesitate to say that you will fully agree with this statement that Jesus believes in you. Jesus believes in you. Because you deserve it? Because you're his. Because he paid the price. Because you're under his blood. You are forgiven. You've been bought with a price. You belong to him. I love scripture. It says he's the glory and the lifter of our heads. Oh, man. There's a lot more I could teach. There's a lot more I could say. There's more I'm supposed to say too, but give me a second here. All right, we just did it quick before I even got to my message. I just said, if, you, if you're a tither and you're having a financial something, you need a breakthrough, just stand. I'm just going to not wait to the end. I'm just going to say it now. If somehow this is resonating with you, 
that there's some shame that you could say, I know I'm forgiven. I, like I know it's under the blood, but there's some residual. There's something where you don't have hope for your future. Like I gave my personal testimony. I was walking in being the pastor and I still was lingering with lies. If somehow something is resonating with you that you know that Jesus on purpose is slowing down this Sunday to talk to you personally. I I have lots of other things I could be talking about and teaching on. I'm telling you, I have other revelations. There's things, but the Holy Spirit said, this is the one that I got to hit longer. Now, I don't know if we get to other things. Because the Holy Spirit is saying, let's slow down and let's zoom in on this. It might just be one of you in the room and you're worth it. Jesus had a lot he wanted to accomplish. Jesus, his desire is that all men would come to the saving knowledge of who he is. He could have been doing lots of things to transform the whole world, but instead he chose to go have a personal encounter with one person. Can I say it this way? Because a personal encounter is not just for you. Anytime there's a personal encounter, Jesus has bigger plans. In the moment, it seems like it's all about you. Can I give you some biblical context? Saul on the road to Damascus has a personal encounter with Jesus. Can you say that personal encounter was not just for Saul? It transformed the entire world, that personal encounter. Moses had a personal encounter at a burning bush. It was all about Moses in that moment. But did it say all about Moses? No. He took all of God's children out of Egypt because of that personal encounter. So yes, in the moment, it's all about you. But just know it's not all about you. (laughs) Here's what I'm saying without elaborating too much. There's someone in this room that because of your personal encounter today, other people are getting saved. Because of your personal encounter today here at this church, this church is going to be packed. The harvest is going to be plentiful. I'm not trying to get everyone in the room to stand, but I'm hoping there's one person that stands. If this is resonating with you, I can try to fill in more words, but I don't have to. The Holy Spirit's been talking to you. If that's you, that you need a personal encounter with Jesus in this specific way, like Peter, would you just stand for a second? I got some more to say, but you stand. All right, I'm about to do something. I don't know how it's all going to pan out yet. I've got faith for it, but I don't have the vision for all the plans out. I love scripture. It says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, which means what he did for Peter, he can do for you. What he can do for one person in this room, he can do for everyone in this room. So I'm going I'm to take a risk here. I don't know how it's all going to pan out. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick one of you to come up here, all the way up front, one of you that's standing, and I'm gonna give you a personal word 
But what's for you is for everyone in this room. Does that make sense? Michael, can you get up here? Sorry, you get picked. I know it might seem a little awkward to be in front of everybody and everyone's looking at you right now. But there's just something about, instead of me just praying for everyone in general, looking someone in the eyes. Michael, your future is brighter than you think it is. Michael, you've not had the easiest of lives. You've been dealt some bad cards. But I'm telling you, the favor of God is all over you. You are a voice of reason, of truth, of clarity, where people are confused. You bring truth in a winsome way, not in an offensive way, but in a loving way. People are not just going to get saved and go to heaven. People are going to be set free. Like we're talking today, mindsets are going to be changed because of your loving kindness mixed with just a smidge of more boldness than you have now. Because you already have the loving kindness. But he wants to fill you with a little bit more boldness. Like Peter. Peter was the right man. Jesus did not make a mistake in picking Peter. Peter made a mistake, but it did not nullify Jesus' right decision. Jesus rightly has picked you. Jesus rightly has put his favor upon you, more so than other people. Can I say it this way? Peter was one of the 12, which means he was already one of God's favorites. But then he became part of the inner three. He got extra favor. I'm telling you, you have extra favor. Everyone in this room has a measure of favor, but Michael, you've got extra favor. He doesn't want to overwhelm you with it. Like Peter, he wasn't trying to overwhelm him. He was encouraging him. Peter, I love you. Michael, I love you. I am proud of you. I am proud of your heart that you've remained soft and pliable to his spirit. Where other people in your same situations would have been cold and hard and bitter, you remain soft and sensitive to him. He takes delight in a man after his own heart. So I'm going to pray over Michael, but I, this is a prayer for everyone standing. God, I thank you for Michael. I thank you that you are changing and transforming him by the renewing of his mind right now. That you are putting courage inside of his soul. Not only is his mind being transformed, the way he thinks about himself, God, but that you are changing the inner man. That you're putting strength in the inner man right now. That he is altogether different and at the same time, he has the same DNA that he's always had. His personality is staying intact, but you're breathing upon it for your glory. Just as Peter was bold and audacious and you breathed upon that, God, just as Michael is sensitive and loving and kind, you're breathing upon it for your glory. God, I pray that Michael not only walks as someone who's saved, but he's walked in the fullness of your spirit. I'm going to be bold. Michael, you're supposed to get water baptized. (laughs) 
this Wednesday. You didn't come and tell me yet, but I'm telling you. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to be a sign and a wonder, Michael. Because you're not just saved and you're not just water baptized. You are filled with the Spirit of God. And testimony after testimony is going to come through your life. So God, I thank you for Michael. Encourage him and bless him in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Love you, man. All right, if I could have everyone stand, we're going to do a little different. I know service is kind of ending, but... You said it, so I'm taking you at your word. I heard you say it. You said, I need a personal encounter with Jesus. You said it, not me. Well, I said it too, but... Service, I know time is coming to a close, and you got to do what you got to do. But I'm believing there's a personal encounter available for everyone in this room. And I don't know how to do all this. Maybe I'll have some leaders up front if you feel like you're supposed to come front. But I feel like some of you, you're supposed to stay where you are. And just like Peter, Jesus went and found Peter. Some of us leaders are supposed to go find you. Stay right where you're at, we'll come get you. It took longer than Peter wanted. Can I just say it that way? It might take longer than you want to get your personal encounter. But if you're hungry, you're going to get it. So I'll have the worship team just sing a worship song. You're free to worship in that song. You're free just to enjoy that song, to kneel, to worship, to just enjoy the presence of God. Ask if you really do want it. Ask again for a personal encounter. It might happen that no leader touches you. It's just one-on-one with you and Jesus. Is that making sense what I'm kind of saying is going to happen? And you're free to go. There's going to be no official dismissal of me coming up and say, Lord bless you, see you on Wednesday. We're just going to worship the Lord. And you go when you need to go, and you get an encounter when you need an encounter. And let's just cry out for Jesus, amen? Let's pray one more time. God, I thank you. I thank you for your loving kindness your mercies that are new every morning and how great your faithfulness is God it doesn't matter how faithful or faithless I have been your mercy is available and Jesus I just unleash your Holy Spirit to move in this place to move in my place to move in me those that are hurt, those that are hungry, those that are needing a brighter future, that they need a, a word, they need a, God, I, I declare and I release words of knowledge, words of wisdom, God, that are going to propel us with joy and excitement into our next season. Those are being unleashed here this morning, God. So we just say corporately, we want you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We want a personal encounter with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you just worship? And leaders, you're free to go.